This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about ways to become happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. This week, we'll talk about why you might try a tip to tackle a topic, which is a real tongue twister, and we'll talk about a hack that is a different approach to the classic book club. Plus, we'll talk to Rohan Gunatilika, host of the thought-provoking podcast, Meditative Story. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the five senses, human nature. I'm in my little home office here in New York City, and joining me today from L.A. is my sister Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, you're always willing to tackle a hard topic with me. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yeah, Gretchen, you know, I love to talk things through. Yes, you sure do. And before we jump in, I want to remind everybody I am doing the Happiness Project Revisited course, and it is your last chance to enroll in this course for 2024. January 19th, 2024 is the final date. It's already underway, but you can still jump in. You know, the best time to start a Happiness Project is 20 years ago. The second best time is January 19th. (laughs) And if you use the code LASTCHANCE25, you can get 25% off at Happiness happiercast.com slash course. It is so fun. I am loving doing my own happiness project. Of course, I'm so interested to hear what other people are doing. We're having a live check-in and coming up in a few weeks. This is really turning out to be something that is, it's it's a really, really great tool. So I hope people will check it out. Happiercast.com slash course and last chance 25 if you want the 25% off. Yes. And then Gretchen, we got this from Meg. She said, I'm writing after listening to episode 462 with the listener who had in-laws inundating her with too many gifts that are only tangentially related to her life. As someone who comes from a family like this, I had a couple of thoughts. First, do the in-laws know the listener well? I.e., is she close to them? Does she do things with them independent of family gatherings, etc.? It sounds like they are hunting for a personal connection. In my family of overbuyers, the desire mm. to seize on a supposed interest at a gift-giving occasion really came down to not knowing the person super well. 
Second, I don't think the answer is just to roll with it because then what the in-laws are really giving the listener is a never-ending task of having to dispose of things. Mm. The emotional effort of this will grind her down eventually, I know from experience. I'd suggest she use the advice you give at the top of episode 462 to state your preference. They are going to overbuy for her, so tell them what it is that you love to have in your life and have them take care of it. For example, I'm totally stocked up on olives now, thank you, but we've started making pizza on Friday nights at home, and while we have all of the supplies for it, we can always use a good olive oil. <laughs> also, if you get them to inundate you with consumables, then that's an easy donation to a food pantry if you don't want them. Lastly, she could also set a parameter around when she receives the gifts. From the letter, it sounds like she was given gifts every time she visited and not just at birthdays slash holidays, which is a lot. Trying a few, I'm so appreciative of you thinking of me, but we don't need gifts every time we see you. Seeing you is gift enough may move the needle over time. Well, these are great suggestions, and I love the fact that yes. this is a person who's clearly speaking from experience. Yes. This is a way that certain people express their affection, their love, their interest. It's very well-meaning, and these are really great suggestions for making sure that it, it's well-received yes. as well as well-intended. Yes, I like the suggestion for consumables. That was yeah. smart. Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home suggestion is to try a tip to tackle a topic, <laughs> which is like Peter Piper picking a peck of peppers. Um, we love alliteration. We love alliteration. And research does show that alliteration makes ideas more memorable and more powerful. So we're using it this time. And the point of this alliterative suggestion is to deal with the problem. And Elizabeth, you and I have talked about this. This is something that we both have faced, which is you want to raise an issue or a question. You, you, you have a topic for a discussion. There's a topic that needs to be tackled. And the other person says, let's talk about this later. Yes. Or I don't want to talk about that. Yes. This happens to me all the time, I have to say, uh, with yeah. especially my husband, Adam. Yeah. Now, Gretchen, we were growing up, we didn't really do this. We sort of no. just talked about yeah. things as they came up. I also think we are people who like to talk through problems. Yes. So yes. it's natural to us to talk about a problem. That is very true. But I will say that even when I don't feel like talking about something, I remember when Jamie and I were first together, like, I remember being just surprised. Like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, I didn't know that right. was like a thing you could say that you could just be like, I don't want to talk about that right now. And then and then people would just be like, okay. I, it was just never something that was in the realm of possibility. Yeah. And I have to say that I, I now do it sometimes myself because – once you know, you can just feel like, let's do that later. Maybe it'll go away magically. It can be tempting if there's something that is going to be burdensome to talk about. And one thing is there's a difference between I don't want to talk about something, which I will say if it's, you know, like say I got a pilot passed on. I may just yes. not feel like talking about it yes. because I don't feel like dwelling in it right now. Yes. That to me is different from let's talk about when we're going to go to Kansas City for Christmas. What day yes. should I get the tickets? Do you know what I mean? There's yes. different types of topics. And there's certain things where it just has to be hashed out or it needs to be hashed out, even if it's arduous or it requires a lot of calendar planning or is unpleasant or there's a values conflict where it's like, okay, we're going to have to sort through different priorities. I mean, there are things that are just hard to talk about. They're just burdensome to talk about. Yeah. And if you 
are dealing with someone who doesn't want to talk about something, it can be very easy to get frustrated and just give up. Yeah. And and this can become an issue because things aren't getting done in a timely way or it becomes a source of conflict. So what's helpful, and this is why we have this tongue twister suggestion, is to think, are there ways to have an approach that will make it more likely that the other person will cooperate. And so here are some tips for tackling a topic. And that's whether you're dealing with children, sweethearts, family members at work, if you're having trouble with a coworker who doesn't want to tackle a subject that you really need to nail down, here are some ideas to try. So the first idea, if you have more than one topic that needs to be Which you probably do. Often do. You make a list and let the other person choose which yeah. topic they want to tackle. Right. So they get to have some say. They get to pick the thing that's the least objectionable to them, and you get something done, and then you take it up again later, but you get something tackled. Another thing is if a person has something that they would like to discuss, because often, like, two can play this game, you're like, let's do yes. a swap. You've been really wanting to talk about X. I really want to talk about Y. Why don't we set aside some time and we'll do both of them or we'll like agree that we'll do yours, we'll do mine, and that way both people get what they want. And then you could also do a topic roulette. <laughs> Make a list and then just choose yeah. at random. I guess that's kind of gamifying yes. yeah. it. And then also you can let them choose the time. This is one I have to say from my personal experience, this one works really well with Jamie because he'll say, I don't want to talk about that now. And then I'll say, just like not angrily, I'll just say, okay, well, how about after dinner? Or do you want to talk about it during the weekend? And then that person can pick a time where they think that they will be ready to deal with it. I do think that a lot of times this is something where giving the person more control and letting them suit themselves really helps. And you might say, but I'm doing this for everybody. Or like, we're, we're at work. Everybody needs this. Like, this isn't up to one person. But the fact is, if you want someone to cooperate, you want to set it up so that you will get that cooperation. And by giving them more control, giving them more choice, making them feel like they're more in the driver's seat, I really do think that that helps. I have found that I really do get much more cooperation when I say to the person, you get to have a lot of control about how and when this happens, but it just, it needs to happen within a reasonable time frame. Yeah. And Gretchen, you know how we say the opposite of a truth is also true. I also think it's true that if you just say every Monday night, we talk about things that need to be talked about and it's not yeah. a choice and it's just established yeah. that can also yes. help because it kind of takes some of the emotion yeah. away from it because it's not me saying we yeah. need to talk about it. It's Monday yes. night. That's when we do these things. I've heard from so many people where they have sort of an administrative hour or whatever and it works really well. Yes. This is someplace where you might want to think about the four tendencies. Again, if you don't know about the four tendencies, go to GretchenRubin.com slash quiz and all will be revealed. But this is the kind of thing where Let's say if you had an upholder and an obliger, putting it on the calendar might work really, really well. And then people would just keep a running list. And then we know on Monday afternoon, we'll talk about it or whatever. If you're dealing with a rebel, that might be really difficult because they don't like that feeling of being right. trapped into a time. It might be much more spontaneously. Like if at 1130 at night, they're like, I'm ready to talk about it. You have to be like, okay, it's not what I would have picked, but if you're ready, I'm ready. So I think thinking about how to set it up for the four tendencies, because Jamie is a questioner, my husband's a questioner, I'll often say, like, if we don't decide this now, there might not be more availability. Right. Certain things, it's more efficient to decide now. Or 
airline tickets are going to go up. We need to figure this out so we can get our tickets now. And it's like, okay, that's a reason why we're doing it now instead of waiting two weeks. And so yes. questioners want reasons. Obligers need accountability. Rebels need choice and freedom or, you know, tap into their identity. You have to think about how to tailor the decision and the strategy. Yeah. And then, of course, Gretchen, we also have to remind ourselves to answer this question honestly, which is, do I need more information or do I need to just make a decision? This is a real problem for me. I try to drag other people into things and I realize I don't actually need them to weigh in. They do not have information that I need. I do not need to weigh their opinion. I am just trying to offload difficult decision making by pulling somebody else in and trying to like foist it off on them. This is a play I make. And I realized, say to myself, I feel like I'm frustrated because I want to talk about the subject, but do I even need to talk about the subject? I should just call you, Elizabeth, and be like, I need to figure this out. And just like, you know, it's what a friend of mine calls this intuiting by extroverting, which is like for some people talking through a problem is very effective and very comforting and like really helps you arrive at a good decision. So let's just, maybe you and I just need to do that more with each other. Even if we have nothing to add, it's like, oh, I'll listen to you talk about that. (laughs) Yes. No, and this, I mean, this whole thing is very true for me of Jack and what he's going to do in the summer. It's like, it needs to be talked about. Nobody wants to think about it. But if you don't think about it, the options start to close off. So I am going to take these tips to tackle a tough topic. And maybe also a deadline because it's just occurring to me now. Another thing that people say to delay is they say, why would we talk about this now? It's so far away. And you're like, well, it seems far away, but it's sooner than you think. And programs fill up. Some people just feel much more pressed for time than others do. And so this is another thing that can affect the timing of discussing something. So again, it's like, okay, well, maybe you think it's too early now. When do you think we need to talk about it by? And if it's like, well, what about at the end of the month? And you're like, okay, on the end of the month though, right? Then we're going to talk about it because then, so it's again, sort of working with the person to figure out why are they delaying? Why are they objecting? And like letting them weigh in on how to have that conversation. This happened to me recently with Jamie. I think on my 24 for 24, I said how I really want to plan a family trip to Japan. And thank you to all the listeners who wrote in with all sorts of suggestions. I really, really want to go to Japan. But finally, I said to Jamie, like, we really need to sit down. This is a major trip. There's a lot of considerations. Mm. And like, we need to sit down and think about like, when could we go? And how long would we need? And, And he said to me, look, Gretchen, he just took this big volunteer job with NYCHA, which is the New York City Housing Authority. It's like a very, very, very big responsibility on top of his full-time job. And he's really excited about it, but it's just a huge responsibility. And he said to me, Gretchen, I just can't be away that long, Mm. that far away when, you know, I'm just starting this big new responsibility that's really important to me and is going to demand a lot. And I was like, well, thank you. Because now I'm like, it's not going (laughs) to happen this calendar year. And I can stop fussing about it and stop bringing it up. But it took me really just like hopping around in front of him being like, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. And finally, it was just like, it's off the table. And I was like, okay, that is also an answer. And I get it. Like the minute he said it, I'm like, 100%, I understand why this, this isn't the time for that adventure. Yeah. Fair enough. 
But I did that whole thing. I'm like, we're going to have to talk about it. Can we talk about it later? You know, okay, we're going to sit around and talk about it. And he's like, okay, it's off the table. All right. (laughs) You talked about it. We talked about it. So let us know if you do try this at home and how trying a topic tackler works for you. Elizabeth, I love the alliteration. We need to lean into alliteration more, I think. Mm-hmm. Let us know on Instagram, threads, TikTok, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is episode 465. So you can go to happiercast.com slash 465 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we have a no homework book club hack. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. All right, we are back with this week's happiness hack. This is a great suggestion that comes from Sarah. She says, my suggestion is to start a no homework book club. I love getting together with friends to talk about books, but I don't enjoy a long in-depth discussion of a single book or literary analysis. I saw a TikTok that suggested an alternate format for a book club, and I decided to try it. Each month you get together and everyone just talks about what they've been reading or listening to, books, podcasts, long-form articles, etc. You share what you liked and didn't and if you'd recommend it to others. This format is low pressure and, for me, makes for a more interesting discussion because you learn about lots of books from a diverse group of people. It also solves the problem of a discussion petering out because people haven't completed the book. And it particularly appealed to my rebel sister, who is an avid reader and loves sharing her favorites but wants to read what she wants to read. In my group, I volunteered to take notes on the recommendations, which I later type into a Google Doc. This isn't necessary, but our group really liked having it to refer to since we got so many reading recommendations. So I think this is a great idea because everybody loves recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you call at the end of Happier in Hollywood? You have a fun Yeah, type. just a recommendation. <laughs> just our weekly recommendation. And, yeah. And it's of anything. Yeah, I think people are always looking. What's a great podcast? What's a great TV show? What's a great... In all my book groups at the end, we start, we, we will say, oh, and what else are people doing that they would recommend? It's also great to tell people, hey, don't bother. Yeah. I started that. And, you know, there are people where you know that you trust their judgment. And if they got, if they read a book and they're like, mm, I just, I'm not sure I would recommend it. I'm like, okay, that's good to know too. Yeah. It's really a true no guilt book club. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about a book club is yeah. talking to people about other books. So I love this idea. It is true. Many, many rebels will say that they don't want to do what somebody else tells them to do. And a lot of questioners also say, 
why would I read a book just because a bunch of people picked it? All the tendencies can have issues with it. And this is a way that you can get around that. So I love that. And it's really building relationships. That is a huge part of why we are part of these groups. And here's a bonus hack. If you are joining us for the annual challenge of Write 24 and 24, and you want a free PDF so you can keep track of whether you're doing it, you can download that at GretchenRubin.com slash resources. I'll post a link in the show notes. And I want to say thank you and gold star to the sharp-eyed listeners who reminded me that 2024 is a leap year. So now that page has been updated to include February 29th. So if you got the old sheet and you were wondering where your February 29th is, now it is there. So for people who like Don't Break the Chain or whatever, heard from a lot of people who are excited about Write 24 and 24, there's your free sheet. Yay. And now for an interview. Today we are going to be talking to Rohan Gunatilika, who has been described as a meditation entrepreneur, a title that I love. He's the host of the popular podcast Meditative Story, which helps listeners cultivate mindfulness through story. It's a very original and engaging way to build your mindfulness, something many people want to do. Here's a description. Meditative story combines the emotional pull of first-person storytelling with the immediate science-backed benefits of mindfulness practice, all surrounded by breathtaking and cinematic music. I was a guest on Meditative Story, and I so enjoyed the experience. I'll post a link in the show notes, or you know, you can just search for it if you go to Meditative Story and search for Gretchen Rubin. I really enjoyed that experience. In addition to his podcast, Rohan has worked in design in public sector healthcare, designed the app Budify, and wrote the book, Modern Mindfulness, How to Be More Relaxed, Focused, and Kind While Living in a Fast, Digital, Always-On World. That sounds like something we all need. (laughs) Welcome, Rohan. Welcome. Hi there. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. We're so happy to be talking to you. Yes. So many people seem to take the view that to be more mindful, we need to shut ourselves off from technology. You've done a lot to harness the power of technology to help people become more mindful. What is your thinking in that area? I guess my general approach to mindfulness has always been about including everything and Mm. including everything everywhere all the time. (laughs) rather than Mm -hmm. mindfulness being something that looks like something in particular. And technology is, I guess, part of that. Mm. And in conventional, if you go to like, if you think about conventional mindfulness training, you learn on the cushion, right? You learn in a sort of formal way. And then once you've got settled in that, your teacher might go, now go and take what you've learned into the rest of your life, into your Mm. relationship, into your work, but you've not learned in those situations. So you're learning in this sort of stylized lab environment, <laughs> the cushion, the mat, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, formal meditation, as I might call it. And then whereas all the stresses are not in formal meditation, your stresses mm. are in your day job or whatever it is, uh, your family life. So, and that, you know, that's a legitimate approach and it can work. But my preference is to always, is to turn that inside out. And why don't we start by learning in the messiness of life? Because that's where our stresses are. And then we can use formal practice to deepen that learning. And so technology is just part of that messiness. And so learning, so I think the danger is sort of compartmentalizing technology is something that is not mindful just means it becomes a thing that we pathologize and demonize. And, you know, I get it also because, 
you know, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to the history of mindfulness and meditation. Mm. I sort of, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, if you, a lot of the Western mindfulness tradition comes from the hippie, early post hippie movement, mm. where which is quite anti technology, anti digital, mm. and so the echo of that is felt now in your in the question, isn't it? Of like. Well, you know, we learn mindfulness in a very particular way, which, you know, teachers, you know, when you think about think about the generation, the great contemporary, say, American or Western teachers, the sort of Sharon Salzbergs, the Jack Cornfields, mm-hmm. those sort of mm-hmm. big names, you know, they don't have very active digital lives. And so they don't teach about it. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm sort of part of a generation who mm-hmm. largely grew up with technology, certainly not, like, grew up with technology and computers in our lives, but also grew up learning meditation. And so I'm part of a generation that I've s- s- learned to do that all together. And it's sort of, sort of natural to me because I've had to, because you know, I had, you know, so when I first got into meditation, I had the choice of, you know, I was learning a very traditional style, but my life was, I was living in London at the time, working sort of corporate stuff and, you know, I was loving it. It was fast, it was digital, it was like relational and so I had the choice of like, do I keep those two things separate mm-hmm. or do I, and, but if I did, I almost felt like it wasn't relevant, you know, mm-hmm. but the whole point of mindfulness is to mm-hmm. bring more wisdom and kindness and compassion and insight to your life. Um, and if it wasn't doing that, then it wouldn't be working. So, and, I, and the great thing about the mindfulness tradition, it's always been a evolutionary, it's mm-hmm. an evolutionary thing. Um, and it's changed and adapted over time. And I just think digital or technology is sort of the frontier. And I think frontier of sort of modern modern mindfulness. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. And if you want to, again, if you want to think about the history of mindfulness, it's always been about inclusion. So go back a couple of thousands of years and it would be like, okay, you can't do mindfulness meditation unless you were a monk mm-hmm. and then we, then, then they broke down that barrier and then said actually you can't do this unless you were a man and then mm-hmm. then the female tradition started and then they said oh, you can't do this unless you're Asian and then that barrier changed and now mm-hmm. the the barrier is actually around you can't do this unless you turn off your devices mm-hmm. I've heard you know I've heard this story before and I've seen um, historically how all these barriers have been removed that's why I'm optimistic about mm-hmm mindfulness and the contemplative or wisdom traditions and technology because because unless we do you know technology is not going away right. spoiler alert for the mm, next yes. <laughs> right. uh, hundred years it's not going away and so if we don't inc- include it then it's no longer relevant and so well it certainly seems a lot more realistic yes. and therefore more practical and that people will be more likely to succeed because it's more in line with the actual way they live their lives instead of setting aside this very special time that has special rules that might make it harder to be consistent with it. So what do you think are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that people face when trying to stay more mindful? I think it's, in a way, it's in your mind, what is the image of what is being mindful look like? Right. Um, mm. And so, you know, you talked well there, Gretchen, about the idea of digital detox or letting go of, like, turning your device off. And, and in a way, that's what people's mental models. So I think, for me, it's the... Because often it's the the perception that I don't have time, I'm too mm. busy. Mm-hmm. And these are all effectively 
perceptions of what it, this looks like. And so I always try to pull it back to, okay, what are you trying to achieve? So my my working definition of mindfulness is using your attention to develop positive qualities on purpose. So that so for example, for some people that might be calm, for other people that be focus, for other people kindness, whatever it is that that a particular individual wants to achieve. And then okay, if you want to if you want to work on body awareness or kindness, then let's have a conversation about how do you do that whilst using your phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a much more rich thing because like then it's no longer a don't, don't have to turn my technology off. It becomes a challenge and a creative challenge really of how to to do that in in practice. So just an example, again, anyone who's gone to a yoga class or meditation class, mm-hmm. first thing you do is you learn a body awareness technique, you know, become aware of your breath, become aware of the sensation of your body on the ground, whatever it might be. The example of using that with your phone is whilst holding your phone know what it's like to know what your phone feels like whilst you're using it mm-hmm. it sounds like such a simple mm-hmm. almost mundane instruction or idea but what you are doing there is you're you're being physically present with the experience of scrolling instagram whatever it is playing candy crush like doesn't really mm-hmm. matter and if if you're able to do that at the same time as while you're doing what you're doing on your phone then part of your mind is present, part of your mind, and because it's in contact with physical sensation, it means that you're less likely to get sucked into the wormhole of content because mm-hmm. there's just that little that little bit more mm-hmm. settleness and presence. And so these little sort of hacks, so you talk about stumbling blocks, I think it's very much this seeing that actually that, that counts as mindfulness. And that, that's a, it's a way of bringing mindfulness into making it a layer on my on my yeah. existing life rather than mm-hmm. me having right. to find the time to go and right. do something you know quiet time is the luxury it's, a, it's a, you know it's the, the scarcest resource in a lot of people's mm-hmm. lives well and again i love how practical that is you mm-hmm. can do it while playing candy crush that's as practical as it gets. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know about Candy Crush. I'm sure Candy Crush candy is still crush. massive. I'm not <laughs> I've never been that's never been me. But um yeah and i think that's my thing about like creative, accessible ways to practice and explore mindfulness in a that is that's still sort of legit mindfulness mm-hmm. that would pass the pass the test and and you know stuff that I've had to work out for myself you know because these are things that I do and so you sort of take very what I've done in my my own practice effectively and in my sort of all the stuff that I'm, whether it's apps or podcasts or whatever it is I've just taken core classic techniques body awareness concentration kindness inquiry these sort of very classic mindfulness techniques and then go okay how do you do that whilst you're on the subway how do you do that mm-hmm. whilst you're browsing the web right. how do you do that when you're having a difficult difficult conversation with a colleague or with a with a partner and that's a great lead into the question that we ask every guest which is if you could suggest to try this at home suggestion for people to try starting tomorrow that doesn't take a lot of time energy or money that you think would boost their happiness what would you suggest i would say something about since we're talking about technology something about distraction right mm. so the one thing i would say would be get interested in the process of distraction Mm-hmm. So when you're, you know, every day, you know, I'm doing some work and then when I'm not, without me realizing, I'm suddenly like, distra- like go to a completely different device and I'm looking at stuff on my phone. 
And then what I've learned over time is that by becoming really interested in that process, you can catch it earlier and earlier in the mm -hmm. process. You know, mm. the first thing you might notice, though, actually, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm somewhere completely different. Mm -hmm. And then you've, if you bring a bit more interest to it, you may even notice the movement of your hand going mm -hmm. to your pocket uh -huh. or to your debt <laughs> or to your whatever. Yeah. And then if you become re if you get really into it, it doesn't take very long. Literally, like, can just take a few days to get really into it. You can just feel that little nudge. It's not even a physical thing. It's like it's like a little itch in the mind to go. Oh, I wonder if I. Oh, mm -hmm. oh. And then it becomes really fascinating because then you realize. Certainly, from my experience, is that I I started noticing my mind state. Uh, that initiated a, a distraction thing, mm -hmm. a distraction process. And what I was noticing was that I was feeling bored or lonely. Mm. And yeah. that ended up in me going to then go to my phone and check the football scores or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, actually, what's happening is I'm actually trying to be kind to myself because I'm actually not feeling, I'm feeling a bit bored. And so I'm basically using this as a kind of comfort mechanism. And then the more I've learned about that, And then, you know, you'll know this, both of you so well, is that through the, the, all the conversations you have, which is the more we know about our pattern, mm -hmm. especially if it's maybe a negative pattern, the less power it has. Mm -hmm. And we can just catch it a little bit earlier. And so, all, and you know, and just be okay with, oh, I'm just feeling a bit bored. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need that. I can just sort of move on to the next thing. So that's my, that's my tip, is to get interested in distraction. And the more interested in distraction you are, the less likely it might happen. Excellent. Well, that's very, I think that yes. resonates with most of us, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It was so great to get the chance to talk to you. Great. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rohan. Thank you. Coming up, Gretchen has an identify the problem demerit, but first this break. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for ways for my son to get involved and give back in our local community. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. 
Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, is also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work with in their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org students. That's lls.org students. Eating processed food for every meal isn't healthy for people or for dogs. We all know that, and kibble is subject to multiple rounds of high-heat processing, making an ultra-processed food. The farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. My dog, Barnaby, loves the farmer's dogs. When he sees me pulling one of those packets out, he comes running. It's personalized, vet-developed, and it has recipes for as little as $2 a day. Meals arrive in pre-portion, ready-to-serve packs, and they're conveniently delivered on whatever schedule works for me. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. Okay, we're back with this week's demerit and gold star. Gretch, you're up with a happiness demerit. Okay, so this is a demerit where I snatch triumph from the jaws of defeat at the end. Okay, so I always talk about identify the problem, right? Once we identify the problem, it's a lot easier to spot a solution, but it can be hard to identify the problem, so really work to identify the problem. Okay, so I've been talking about that for so long, and only recently, in the last week, did I identify a problem that was extremely easy to fix the minute that I identified it with it after struggling with this for years. Okay, so this is what it is. Elizabeth, you know from doing live events with me, probably, that I have a curse with a countdown clock. Yes. If you do public speaking on a stage, very typically there is a countdown clock so that you know how much time you have. Because if you're supposed to speak for 40 minutes, it's very easy to be off by 10 minutes. It's just you need a clock to help you stay on time. And there is something about me. I have some kind of magnetic force where mm -hmm. eight times a countdown clock has failed. One time they did it with an iPad and the Wi-Fi went down. One time the person forgot to start it. One time Oof. they set the wrong time so like it wasn't connected to what I was doing. Anyway, so I always say to people, I have a curse with a countdown clock. Watch it, watch it, watch it. But sometimes in I'm in places where there is no countdown clock and there's not even a clock on the wall. Sometimes there'll be like a clock on the back wall, which has mm. a speaker you can see and look at. So I was getting ready to do a workshop with a bunch of Yale Law School students, which was super, super fun. And I was getting ready for it. It was going to be long. And I thought, huh, they're probably not going to have a countdown clock because it's, you know, a fairly small group. And there might be a clock on the wall, but there might not be a clock on the wall. And then there's people are always like, oh, you can set your phone so it doesn't turn off so you can always see the time. But I'm like, I've tried that. Mm -hmm. That never really works, right? So identify the problem. What is the problem? I need a countdown clock. Mm. I need a clock that's visible that won't turn off. And then I'm like, I could just buy a travel alarm clock. Yeah, It'll show me the number. A digital alarm clock. Of which there are a bazillion. For 10 bucks, I bought one that is exactly what I need. I got it, took it to the workshop, 
It worked perfectly. And I had the brilliant idea, I'm going to take out the batteries because I only need it to work when I need it to work, which is rarely, but when I need it, mm. I really need it. And this just solves a huge problem for me. And yet it has taken me all this time to realize I don't need to worry about it. I can just fix it. So anyway, the demerit is taking so long to figure it out. But then I do give myself a gold star for having finally bought myself the clock that solves this problem. That is so good. And so you can just like keep it in the backpack you take with you to speak and it'll exactly. always be there. Yes, I love it. I can always just put it somewhere where it's visible. And then in the end, I can always know. Yep. So Elizabeth, what is your gold star? Well, Gretchen, I am giving a gold star to my son, Jack, my 14-year-old son this week, because he gave a little speech at school about his boxing. So every week, a couple of different students have to speak in chapel. And he spoke about boxing and he did such a good job. Both what he wrote was really good. I thought his delivery was really good. And I mean, that is nerve wracking. We talk yes. a lot about public speaking and how hard it yes. is. And one thing I love that his school does is really get the kids doing this every year, really starting in kindergarten. They have to do public speaking. You know, it's very nerve wracking and he did yes. a great job and they showed a little video of him and, you know, he took it like a champ, so <laughs> to use the boxing metaphor. So um, I was very proud, and I gave him a gold star for that. I give him a gold star as well because you sent a video to our family. Yes. And the thing is, he seemed so composed, so natural. It was hundreds of kids. This wasn't yeah. like stand up in front of your classroom. This is like an assembly. And he used the microphone. He just seemed so at ease. And one of the things about a speaker is if the speaker seems at ease, you feel more at ease. And if someone's really nervous, you feel their anxiety as yes. a listener. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, at 14, that is remarkable. Gold yes. star to Jack. And gold yes. star for the school for helping to yes. help them build to that level of comfort with something that is so widely a source of anxiety for people. Well, and something that for the rest of your life, at yes. certain points, you need to speak in public. Yeah. So it's just such a good skill to build. Yeah, a wedding toast, talking to a school group, giving a presentation at work. A eulogy. A eulogy, yeah. No, gold star. The resource for this week. Okay, one of the things I'm doing for 2024 is I have reconfigured my five things making me happy newsletter to be sleeker, better, just generally upgraded. I'm really excited. And one of the elements that I've added is five things to try. This is once a month. It's part of the newsletter flow and it suggests five things to try. It's a slightly different version of try this at home and, and hacks. It has practical tips and strategies to help you make progress on whatever your aims is. This is something that you just get once a month. So if you subscribe to the five things at the link in the show notes, you can sign up for my newsletter. And that is one of the things that you will get. And I love a tip and a hack and a strategy, Elizabeth. So I really yes. love working on this one each month. Absolutely. So sign up. I will put a link in the show notes. And Elizabeth, what are we reading? What are you reading? I am reading Class, a memoir by Stephanie Land. And I'm just about to start My Own Country by Abraham Verghese. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember, try this at home. Try a tip to tackle a topic. 
Let us know if you tried it, if you could say it, and if it worked for you. Thank you to Rohan Ganatilika. You can listen to his podcast, Meditative Story. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram and threads and TikTok at Gretchen Rubin. And I am on Instagram and threads at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us. Rate and review the show. That is how people discover a new podcast. Or you could talk about our podcast in your No Homework Podcast Club. Well, we like appreciate it. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. Elizabeth, don't you find that the way you get recommendations mostly is when people recommend it? I watch TV shows because people in a book club recommend it. I find a book because somebody in passing recommends it. Though I yes. do listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of stuff that just gives recommendations. I love getting recommendations. Yes. I mean, especially with podcasts, I'm almost exclusively it's because someone recommended it. Or maybe I'll hear an ad for it. You and Eliza and Eleanor listen to a lot of the same podcasts. I, yes. I often am like, oh, I know that they want this is a scam podcast. I know exactly <laughs> who wants to listen to this. From the Onward Project. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.